and your Bible, and let's look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, we'll look at the first uh, part of this chapter uh, this morning. I want to spend a, a few moments talking with you about simply the strategy of Satan. Okay, the strategy of the saint. Well, what I want to talk to you today about an experience from Jesus' life that is an experience in our lives as well. And that experience is temptation. Temptation is not the exception in our lives, it is the rule. That's why when you read passages, for example, like James chapter 1, it says, when you are tempted, not if you happen to be tempted, but when you are, it's, it's understood that we will experience in our lives temptation. And we can learn a lot from Jesus' experience, not only about temptation, but about how Satan uses that strategy to seek to defeat us in our lives. So in Matthew chapter 4, let's begin by reading verses 1 and 2 to kind of set the stage. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's the most logical conclusion there is in the Bible, isn't it? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, notice how when the chapter opens by saying then, that that word then connects what happened in chapter 3 with what's happening in chapter 4. So, what is it that happened in chapter 3? And this is very important to kind of form the foundation of what we're going to look at today. In, in, in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. And when he's baptized, he comes out of the water, and God speaks from heaven, and God says, this is my beloved son, in him I am well pleased. When Jesus makes that statement from heaven, this is my beloved son, that's a statement of his identity, in whom I am well pleased, that's a statement of the Father's approval. So in Matthew Matthew chapter 3, God speaks from heaven. That's a spiritually high moment for Jesus, and it is followed by him going into the wilderness. It's followed by a spiritual low. A voice from heaven was followed by a voice from hell. That's how Satan worked then, and that's how he works now, you see, whenever God does something great in your life, you can count on the enemy being right behind him, trying to pull up the seeds that God has planted. Times of revelation are always followed by times of testing. And so Jesus is prepared in verse 3, it tells us, that the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, 
He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you, Jesus, will fall down and worship me, Satan. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Did you notice a pattern that Satan uses as he comes to Jesus on two different occasions, verse 3 and verse 6, and he says, if you are the Son of God, do this. Now, this is why this is so striking. Wasn't it just one chapter before that where God's, remember when like five minutes ago when we said, anybody remember what I said five minutes ago? Anybody? Please? Okay, thank you. Uh, that in just one chapter earlier, there was this voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son. And now Satan, after this moment, is saying, if you are the son of God, a go-to tactic of our enemy is to weaken or try to break the hold that God's word has in your life. Look, Satan will always try to put a question mark where God has put a period. Now, that, 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 that's nothing new. He's been doing that since the Garden of Eden. When he came to Adam and Eve and he said, did God really say that you shouldn't or should do this? Is God really looking out for your best interest? Don't you think it'd be okay to just sidestep God in this one instance? Look, I want you to understand <clears throat> this morning that we have an enemy who prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have an enemy, you have an enemy, whose only goal for your life, his only concern for your life is to kill and to steal and to destroy. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. And if you don't know who you're fighting against, you won't know how to fight. And I think sometimes we spend so much time, even within Christianity, fighting and bickering and complaining uh, with, uh, to and about each other that we don't really pose that big a threat to the enemy. But when the enemy starts to come at us, and when, temptations, when temptation comes our way, what can we learn from Jesus's experience. In fact, I think when you look at this text, you see that Satan came at him in three specific ways. And when I look at all the temptation that I'm faced with, and I talk to people about temptations that they are dealing with, it oftentimes seems that everything ultimately falls under one of these three umbrellas. Let's look at them for just a, a few minutes this morning. The first is, is this, we face the temptation to make a good thing a God thing. Okay, we face the temptation to make a good thing a God thing. 
Notice in verses 3 and 4, there was this temptation for Jesus to turn these stones into bread. Now, there is nothing wrong with bread. In fact, Jesus is the most pro-carb guy you'll ever find in your life. Find freedom and walk in that today, okay? Not only did he like bread, he was the bread of life. And this is a stretch, but chocolate cake is kind of like bread, all right? That's just my interpretation. There's nothing wrong with bread. There's nothing wrong with Jesus eating bread. However, at this moment, it was not God's will at this particular time for Jesus to eat bread. See, Jesus went into the wilderness, it tells us, for fasting. Now, fasting is something that is kind of like a cuss word for us Baptists. Uh, It's when you go without food for a certain period of time. I can attest and you can see, I'm not an expert in the spiritual discipline, but it's the idea that when you're fasting, you don't eat. So for Jesus to be tempted, again, nothing wrong with him eating bread. He ate it many times. But at this moment, this was not God's will for him. That bread was a good thing. But Satan tried to have him look at it as a God thing. You see, this part of this temptation was not for Jesus to do something immoral. It was for Jesus to go after something good that was not yet in God's plan for him at that moment. Satan wanted Jesus to value the gift more than the giver. Okay, he wanted him to replace the giver with the gift. His strategy for your life is exactly the same and for my life. His strategy is to have us take a good thing. Our jobs, our marriages, our children, our friends, our hobbies, the money that we make that he blesses us with, those good things. The temptation is for us to take those good things and to make them so important that it, that good thing, drives all of your decisions because you begin to think that you cannot be happy and you cannot be fulfilled without whatever it is in your life, that good thing. And then all of a sudden, you are overwhelmed by that desire for whatever it is, and that desire begins to drive your emotions, that desire begins to drive your decisions instead of listening to God. And so Jesus responds by quoting a verse from Deuteronomy, when Israel had been wandering in the wilderness, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying here, there is something more important to me than even bread, and that's fellowship with God. There's something more sustaining to me than physical bread, and that's God's declaration over me that I am his beloved son. Jesus is saying physical bread is good, but it's my soul that finds rest in God. Look, the gifts of God are wonderful, and we should always give praise to God for his marvelous gifts, but never allow the gift to replace the giver. Refuse to take a good thing that God has put into your life and make that good thing another God in your life because you can't 
serve too. And so the temptation we face is the same as Jesus faced. To take a good thing and to make it a God thing. And you'll have that temptation before this day is done. Be prepared. Focus on the giver, not the gift. Second is this. We face the temptation as Jesus did to understand God through our circumstances instead of through his word. Satan quoted scripture. I don't know if you saw that. It tells us in verse 5 that the devil took him to the holy city, put him on top of the pinnacle, and the devil said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, Satan knew his verses and you had to twist them and use them just because you find a, and I'm going to try to get on the soapbox, just because you find a verse for something doesn't mean you're using it right, <laughs> okay? Just because it's there doesn't mean you're going to use it for the right purpose for which it is there. So Satan is tempting Jesus to test God. He says, hey, let's, let's test God. Throw yourself down because he's going to give his angels command concerning you. Let's test God to prove that God is going to take care of you. If God really cared about you, Jesus, then he's not going to let you get hurt in a situation like this. So let's try an experiment. Why don't you jump off? And if God keeps you safe, then you'll know that you're really his beloved son. If the circumstances come out in your favor, then you know that you're good to go. But Jesus, notice, resisted this temptation because Jesus did not need God to prove something that God had already declared. Why would Jesus need to test God if God had already declared that he was his beloved son? This is a temptation for Jesus to base his understanding of God upon his circumstances instead of what he knows to be true about God that God has revealed to himself. You and I face that temptation as well, and far too many of us give into it far too often. We oftentimes doubt the declaration of God, and there's no reason to doubt God. If he's already declared it, there's no reason for us to doubt it. You see, we think that when life goes well, and we've got money to pay the bills, and the kids are acting like they're supposed to act, and our relationships are all intact, and everything's going good, then surely we must be doing something right. Surely that means the pleasure of God is upon us, and then we think when things don't go so well, when there's a rebellion in our house, when there's a diagnosis that isn't good, when there's a valley that we walk through, there's an unexpected death that occurs, we sometimes are tempted to think, well, what have I done? Maybe I haven't pleased God that well. Maybe God is displeased with me. Maybe God is disappointed with me. Maybe God is even angry with me. But I want you to look as an example to Jesus, the beloved Son of God, who was completely pleasing to God. He was always exactly in step with the Spirit of God. He was exactly where he was supposed to be, doing exactly what 
what, he's, what he was supposed to be doing, yet he was not shielded from pain. He was in a desert, but that did not mean that God was displeased with him. Look, I want to encourage you this morning by reminding you of this reality. The truth is, if you are a child of God, our Father's pleasure rests upon us. We have the pleasure of God. When life goes well, He is pleased with my relationship with Him and His relationship with me. When things are going bad in my life, He is still pleased to be my Father. He's still pleased to have me as his child. Romans 8 1 tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we sin, certainly God does not take pleasure in our sin, but God always takes pleasure in us as his children. There's never a time God thinks, I wish you weren't mine. Never. But our temptation is to start judging the character of God based upon the circumstances around us. Look, I want you to understand, when Jesus said, follow me, he wasn't beckoning us into a barefoot walk through a meadow of waterfalls, rainbows, and butterflies. He was calling us to the cross where he went. When you find yourself in the desert, what will you believe? When you find yourself in the desert, will you interpret God's Word through your circumstances? Will you try to understand God through what's happening around you, or will you seek to understand your circumstances through God's Word? For you see, we have something that's even better than what Jesus had. It's even better than what the Old Testament prophets had. They had the promises of God's Word in the prophets, but we have the demonstration of God's love at the cross. And that demonstration, the fact that Jesus died for you, supersedes every circumstance you'll ever face in your life. And so we realize that Satan will tempt us. We will face that temptation to interpret the circumstances around us, to have that distort our view of God. Always remember that it's God who's sovereign over your circumstances, not your circumstances that are sovereign over God. And the third temptation teaches us this. Like Jesus, we face the temptation to pursue the right thing in the wrong way. To pursue the right thing in the wrong way. <clears throat> See, in verses 8 through 10, the devil takes you to a mountain, showed him all the kings of the world, their glory. And Satan said, I'm going to give you all these kingdoms if you'll just fall down and worship me. See, man was given the authority to rule over the earth back in Genesis. But Adam's sin forfeited that authority 
And those kingdoms were forfeited to Satan, who today functions as the little g God of this world that is stained with sin and headed for destruction. So here Satan offers Jesus this authority for these kingdoms that we lost through sin. But understand that this is exactly what Jesus came to earth to do. Jesus came to earth to get this authority back through his death on the cross. What Satan is doing, don't miss this, Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut. He's offering Jesus the chance to avoid the cross, but it was only through the cross that that authority could rightfully be retaken by Jesus and implemented in the future. This is a temptation. This is so slick and cunning of Satan to do. This is a temptation to walk on a path that is parallel to God's will, but not in God's will. I'm going to repeat that. Okay, this is a a temptation to walk parallel with God's will. You're you're looking for the right thing, but not in God's will. You're not going about it in the right way. This was for Jesus and is for us a temptation to compromise. I mean, you, you really desire fill in the blank, and you honestly believe that's what God wants for you as well. But, but God is not moving as fast as you think he should move. God is not getting fill in the blank to you fast enough. So even though you're pursuing the right thing, even though you're running parallel to God's will, you decide to take it into your own hands and you try to seek that good thing, that right thing in the wrong way. Jesus resisted this temptation. Jesus wanted fellowship with the Father more than he wanted to fulfill his purpose. If fulfilling that purpose meant doing it outside God's will, Jesus wanted no part of it. Sidebar, after his death, after his resurrection, this authority was given to Jesus, but not by Satan. It was given to him by God. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority on heaven and on earth is given to me. When Jesus returns, he's bringing deliverance with him. He's going to flex his muscles as he exerts that authority, reverses the curse, and binds Satan from ever tempting anyone again. Pursue God in God's way. Pursue that which is right in a righteous way. You see, these three temptations are at the core of Satan's strategy against you. The way Jesus overcame them will give you the ability to overcome them. Because you see, there's something much deeper at work in this. Usually when people come to this text and, and we read it and we say, okay, well the key then is to quote Scripture. And we certainly should have Scripture. That is our sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We certainly should take it to Satan with Scripture. He cannot overcome it. But there's something even deeper that's taking place in Matthew chapter 4. What Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 4, ultimately he is reenacting our temptation so that he can reverse the fall. Think back with me. 
Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment, Eden. When God was watching over them and they had fellowship and they walked with God and they were in that perfect environment when Satan came to them and said, did God really say, are you sure God is good? Eat this fruit. This is more important. This is the better way. The first Adam in a perfect environment believed Satan's lies doubted God's goodness, and compromised God's law in pursuing a good thing. Jesus, the second Adam, rejected Satan's lies, but he was not in a perfect environment like Eden, where all his needs were met. He was in a desert in the wilderness where he is hungry. Everything Adam did wrong, Jesus did right, so that when it came time to die, Jesus could carry Adam's condemnation, and he could carry my condemnation, and he could carry your condemnation, because a perfect life that ended under the condemnation of death is the only thing that can free those of us with imperfect lives who were under the condemnation of death and restore us to everlasting life. And when you have that relationship with that kind of Savior, it assures you of a place with the Father. And that assurance of your place with the Father gives you strength to overcome the temptations of the enemy. Furthermore, when you come into relationship with God, He gives you His Holy Spirit, which means the same one who overcame temptations for you is the one who now overcomes temptations through you. It all hinges on your relationship with Jesus. That's my question to you this morning, is do you have that relationship with Jesus? I'm not asking if you have a relationship with good things. God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. God causes blessings and takes care of people, whether they're part of his family or not. God is sovereign, and he watches over his creation. I'm not asking you if you have good things. I'm asking you if you have a relationship with Jesus. Left to ourselves, we cannot overcome the temptation to sin. Sin will grab a hold of us, and sin will always be victorious over us unless we have someone greater who's fighting sin with us, for us, and through us. Do you have a relationship with Jesus today? If you don't, you can have one. He's simply a prayer away. He invites you this morning right where you are to give your life to him to confess your sin, to have a repentant heart, and to ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior. Maybe God is moving in your life in some other way. Maybe you've realized this morning that you have something good in your life and you're making it a God. And you're realizing that that's not working out. It never does. Oh, it might give us a couple of days of thinking we've got it figured out. 
but that good thing that we make a God thing always ends up disappointing us. Look, spouses make lousy saviors. Children make lousy versions of Christ. Parents, that you can be good when it comes to Jesus, we're pathetic. We need someone greater than us to do what we can't do. And thankfully, we have it in Jesus. Would you bow your head? I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to have a time of commitment. And during this time of commitment, this is God giving you the opportunity to simply respond to what he has placed upon your heart today. The altar is open. If there's something that you need to give to God, we invite you to give that to God today. If there is uh, something in your relationship with God that needs to be mended, you can do that today, either in this altar or right where you sit. If you realize today your need to have Jesus Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've got questions. You can come down front. Let me know you got questions. We'll get you someone right here this morning who can help you work through those questions to understand what God has done for you. Father God, I thank you that Jesus overcame every temptation for us. I thank you that he did what I could never do. Father, I pray now that whatever we need to, to choice we need to make, what decision we need to make, what step we need to take, I pray that you would give us clarity and understanding that. I pray especially if there's one here in this room today that's never placed their faith in Jesus, that they would understand that they are, they are believing the lie of someone, Satan, who who simply seeks to, to harm them, to destroy them. But in Jesus, we find a refuge for our soul. In Jesus, we find safety for our eternity. In Jesus, we find everything we need. If there's one here today who needs to have Jesus as their Lord and Savior, may today be the day they cry out to you. In the good, precious, holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand.